You are listening to the sermon series, Follow. In this sermon, Pastor Dan Chung examines the gospel according to Luke, the identity of Jesus, and the cost of discipleship. The following is a presentation of LifeLight Church in San Francisco. For more information and other audio content, please visit LifeLightChurch.org. Jesus asked the disciples, do you understand what I'm saying, talking about? And they say, we do. Uh, and you'll see why I have chuckled on that when you read uh, the, our text for today. So we're going to take um, Luke chapter 22, verse 24 to 38 today. And this is uh, following uh, Jesus um, during the, his last supper, uh, during the Lord's table and communion, communion we, which we studied last week. So what we see from here is we're entering to the night that's very critical, um, the dangerous night, uh, night that is going to be mixed with betrayal and torture and violence and all of that. And the question is, all along, as we're talking about the disciples, is that are they ready for this, right? Is Jesus ready or are, are, the, are the disciples ready? And most of us, when we come across things of any nature, we, we're very, especially if you're a man, when you're asked, hey, are you going to do this? Do you want to do this? And our most response is what? Let's do this, right? Mm-hmm. We can do it. I'm ready. Let's do this. But, you know, despite the, you know, the courage and energy, uh, it's usually, you know, many times it's not the same. There's a willingness, there's, you know, Desire to tackle it, but you're just simply not ready for it. Um, and you know, we, in our walk with the faith, there has always been a time where you say, "Jesus, I'm ready to go this way. I'm ready to do this," and you make that vow. And it turns out you just weren't ready so much. So that's what we're looking at, disciples. In this evening, are they ready to face what's coming in their way? Um, that night and the day after. So we'll go ahead and read Luke chapter 22, verse 24 through 38. We're going to go ahead and read from verse 21. I have it there just so that we understand the more larger context of what's going on. This is continuing, basically, Jesus after the supper, after he has blessed the, the wine and uh, shared uh, his cup. Verse 21, but see... The one who betrays me is with me, and his hand is on the table. Then they began to ask one another which one of them it could be who would do this. But he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those in authority over them are called the benefactors. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who by and I confer on you, just as my Father has conferred on me a kingdom. So that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. And you will sit on the thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, listen. 
Satan has demanded to sift all of you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your own faith may not fail, and that you your brothers. And he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. He said to them, When I sent you out without a purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, No, not a thing. For I tell you, this scripture must be fulfilled in me, and he was counted among the lawless. <coughs> And indeed, what is written about me is being fulfilled. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your words. We pray that you'll give us um, wisdom to understand uh, your words and apply to our lives. We pray that your words will convict us and meet us where we are so that we may chase after you and the life that uh, mirrors who was Christ. We pray that the words of, uh, words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts will be pleasing and acceptable to you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, what do you think? Something that uh, stood out to you? Synchronizing was a little off. Hmm? Who's synchronizing? What's synchronizing? You know, people talk Oh, it's, it seems a little off, right? You feel like, what is going on here? You feel like the, there's one thing being said and another thing being responded. Being responded. Yeah. What else? You didn't realize that? You didn't see that? Okay. Well, what's up with the swords at the end? Yeah, what is up with the swords at the end? Jesus, you know, they say, we got two swords. We'll, we'll tackle that at the end in this. Good thing, that's curious. Anything else? Well, we're talking about the focus here is, are the disciples ready? And there are a few things that's going on here that indicates that that the readiness of disciples. There are two things we want to look at. And one is something they're doing. They're doing something that indicates whether they're ready or not. And another is how they're responding to Jesus' words. Their response indicates whether they're ready or not. But what we need to understand is the setting. The backdrop of this is very, very heavy uh, setting where there's we expect a lot to happen. We expect something unexpected to happen. We expect the torture and death of the one they follow. So for disciples, this is going to be a big thing. They're, they have an issue that they have to settle before the end of the day. What are they? How are they going to respond to the one they, 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 whom they left everything behind, one they trusted their whole life to, will be will fall, will be ridiculed and tortured and die. So they're going to, they're going to be facing with a life and death issue at the end of the night. What are they going to do? How are they going to respond? Are they ready? So when we look at what they have done, and one of the things that rise up is verse twenty four. The first one is dispute. Also arose among them as to which one of them um, was to be regarded as the greatest. So they're having an argument of who's the better. Who's the better one? Who's the greatest? And haven't they gone through this before? 
they have, right? They have gone through this. I believe in somewhere around chapter 9 or chapter 10, right? They've gone through this before, and they're at it again. And I believe this was an ongoing thing. Every time they sat with Jesus, they were probably all kind of wrestling around who's going to sit at the closest to Jesus, who's going to sit at the greatest table, right? The table that means one. So I bet this went on over and over. Um, but when you th- look at it, this dispute of who's better, I, I mean, whenever there's an argument about who's better, that's a pretty dumb argument, right? And I think guys do this a lot. We argue about who's better, uh, whether it's a sports, whether it's cars or your items that you hold or feature in your body. My hand is bigger than your hand or, you know, I do this better. Or, you know, whenever there's argument about who's better, it's a stupid argument, right? It's a stupid argument. And add to that the presence of Jesus and the gravity of the night and the, the conversation they're having, who's better, it's probably the stupidest conversation ever, right? And this is right after Jesus had told them, went through the dinner, and whole explained, the, unwrapped his gift, and what a wonderful gift is waiting for them, and how he's going to be tortured and die, and you need to be ready, and all of that. In that conversation, only thing they can respond to is, who's better? Who's going to be greatest? And we, we see the bigger picture in the other, other Gospels. There's Jesus washing their feet, and them arguing, and Peter, and all of that. We see other pictures as well. In this night. So they're having a stupid argument. And they're also very divided. The verse 23 says. They began to ask one another. Which one of them it could be. Who would do this. So you look at other gospels. Like John. Their response when Jesus said. One of you is going to betray me. Their response is. Is it I Lord? Is it me? It can't be. Their response is. Is it me? I'm sure it's not me. So what they're saying is they're confident that they're not the one who's going to betray, but they're questioning others. So there's a division in the group. They're doubting each other, and there's a trust broken in this community of Jesus' followers. So Jesus gives them warning of what's to happen to them. Verse 31, Jesus says, Simon, Simon, listen. Satan has demanded a sift of all of you. That's plural, which means all the disciples. Uh, like wheat, which means all the disciples will be tested. Right? They're going to be put to test, and the fear may overcome their faith. They're going to be tested. But what about Peter? Jesus says to Peter, right? And he says in verse 34, Jesus said, I tell you, that's singular, just Peter, I tell you, Peter, the cock will not crow this, this night, this day, until you have uh, denied three times that you know me. And we know most of us know this story, how Peter betrays Jesus. So Peter's going to fail. He's going to betray Jesus, even though he insists that he's ready. He's going to fail. He's like, let's do this. I can do this. I'm going to do it. I'm ready. But he's going to fail. So the disciples, on this night, they're divided. They're arguing with one another. And they're leaderless. But Jesus warns them further of what's to come. Verse 35, he said, He said to them, When he sent, when I sent you out without a purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, No, not a thing. He said to them, But now the one who has a purse must take it, and likewise a bag, and one who has no sword must sell his cloak and buy one. So Jesus is talking about the time that he sent out. You guys remember the story? Jesus sent out 12 and then 70. And when he said, What did he say to the disciples? He said to them, don't take anything with you. Don't take extra sandal. Don't take a purse just in case. Just go with nothing. Because what, what happened to them? 
everything will be provided for them. Right? And the reason that everything was provided is because of how they how people view Jesus. They were followers of Jesus and how people view Jesus encouraged them to give hospitality to disciples. And they had power to heal. Right? And they were protected. They had everything on their side. But now, Jesus says, you need your own resources to survive. You're not going to have this hospitality. And why? Again, because of Jesus. Because the people, the, they, the way that people view Jesus has changed. He's a criminal. And because he, he's viewed as a criminal, the people who follow them, follow him, will be treated the same. So he's saying, remember the time you didn't need anything? Now, you're going to need everything. You're going to have to find your own resources. You're going to have to protect yourself. And verse 37, he says, For I tell you, the scripture must be fulfilled. I mean, he was counted among the lawless. Jesus was treated like a criminal. So they're going to be threatened. So much, Jesus says, that the one who has no sword must sell his cloak and buy one. He said, you're going to need to protect yourself. You need to get sword. You need to get armed so much that it's going to come true. Now, you got to kind of visualize that. Someone whose cloak is like undergarment. You're going to be naked but holding a sword. That's how desperate you will be to protect yourself. You're going to have to sell everything just to have the sword to protect yourself. So, But Jesus here is not talking literally. He's talking figuratively. He's drawing a picture for them. Right? He's drawing a picture. He's saying, you're going to want to get you know, sword and get armed. But disciples don't get it. They don't get it. They actually take it literally. They think that he means them to get ready for an actual fight. So here's how they respond. In verse 38, they said, Look, Lord, we got two swords right here. So that sounds really dumb. Jesus is saying, you know, it's going to get so heavy and it's going to get so uh, dangerous. You're going to have to, you're going to want to get like swords and protect yourself. And they said, well, we got two swords right here. What, are we, what should we do? So you get, you get, you get the whole conversation, you read through the text, and you understand Jesus talking one thing, and they're responding with another, and everything that Jesus is saying is just going over their heads. They just don't get it. They don't get it. And we may think that, oh, that's so dumb, the way they respond, but I think it's more than just the dumbness of disciples. What's being viewed, what's being shown here, is their whole understanding is opposite to Jesus' words. Jesus is, is going to be submitted to be tortured and die voluntarily, but they're thinking and hoping about revolution. So they're taking gladly. And you can see that in Peter's response. Peter responds that, I will, Lord, for you, I will go to prison or I will even die. That's a talk of revolt. That's talk of fighting. He said, I will fight with you. So their whole view of Messiah hasn't changed after all this teaching of Jesus. They're still thinking, we can revolt, we can fight, we can do this, we can retaliate, and that's where we're going to go. But Jesus is saying, no, I'm going to submit, I'm going to be a servant. They just don't get it. So Jesus says, he replied, it is enough. Now, he's not saying the two swords will be enough. What he's saying is, alright, you know what, that's enough of this talk. He's just saying, I'm done talking, you just don't get it. He's just weary of having this conversation after three years of talking to them. And this is the night that he's, the time has arrived. He's going to be gone, tortured, and die. 
And he can no longer have strength to argue with them or just repeat them to them over and over. He's weary. And they just don't get it. So he just says, you know, that's enough of this conversation. I'm done talking. He's weary. And, you know, you look at this whole picture and as what we talked about you know, last week too in the supper that he's explaining and all the betrayal that's going on and next week we're going to continue on of here's Jesus and the actions that surround him what we're going to find out the whole picture kind of draws that Jesus is completely lonely he's all by himself his disciples doesn't, doesn't understand him people are against him no one understands what he's doing and he has to go through this alone the sheer loneliness of Jesus is, is what Luke is picturing, drawing, to give us a picture of it. And we're going to talk more about that next week. But today, the focus is, are they ready? Does it seem like they're ready? They're not, right? They're not. They simply weren't ready for what's going to happen. So the question that we want to draw out of it is, are you ready? As a followers of Jesus, are you ready? Are we ready? How's our understanding of what it means to follow Jesus is really the question. Disciples didn't get it. Do we get it? How do we understand what it means to be great? Our ambition. Do we argue amongst ourselves about who's greater? Or do we really understand what it means to be ambitious in a godly ways? So... There's a couple of teachings here that Jesus goes through. And verse 25 says, the kings, and kings of the Gentiles lord, lord it over them, and there is authority over them, are called benefactors. Jesus talks about the, the ambition of the world, the, how the world views power. And they're basically selfish, greedy, jealous, envious, and dishonest. That's basically the worldly ambition. And we talked about this, how the world views power, and we're supposed to view power. And how world loves to be served, and how we are to serve. We talked about this godly ambition and worldly ambition. So the the question for us is: Do we love to be served, or do we serve others? And the question is: Yeah, we do love to be served, right? And we live in a in a in a world that's so dependent or so focused on service industry. Are we not? You go hotel. Go to house of coffee. Uh, so much of this industry is about a service industry. And we would do what's necessary to get to a place where people serve us. And you know, I often wonder, like, you go to a hotel, and there are people who, um, the, you know, the maids at hotel, and how when they go to a hotel, their position is flipped, and how they work so hard so that they will be the one who served and not serving. You know, and people work hard to be served and you know we all love being served you know, some of us got massages in when we're in philippines we love it right i mean that i think that's like the ultimate picture of being served and we love it i love it <laughs> i love it too we love to be served so what does it mean and what's interesting about this is as jesus talks in response to their talk argument over <clears throat> their ambition he doesn't rebuke their ambition. He corrects their ambition, saying the way to be ambitious, to, being ambitious is good, but you need to understand what it means to be great. And that means to be like servant. He says, I am among you serving. You need to be like me, serving. And serving will lead 
you to be great. The world is this way, but verse 26, Jesus says, But not so with you. Whether the greatest among you must become like the youngest, which is considered the lowliest, and the leader like one who serves. So the question is, how are you serving others? How are you converting your desires to be served? <laughs> and you know, there are different ways to be served. I think the prerequisite of serving is your um, acceptance to be served. And, and that comes first. And, and first step of that is being served by Jesus. Jesus came to serve. He longs to serve us. We survive. Our salvation is dependent on the way that Jesus, accepting the, how Jesus serves us. How he gives us strength. Are you, would you allow Jesus to serve you? Would you allow God to give you strength? And would you allow others to serve you? And a lot of people have a hard time with that. If you are served, you have to pay back. Because I cannot possibly, it's the pride issue, right? I cannot possibly be served. I need to pay for it or pay back. Would you allow others to be served? Jesus was served too. The woman poured you know, the perfume over him. He said, no, no, let her serve me. The prerequisite of serving is allowing yourself to be served first by Jesus and by others. And then we move on to serving others. But serving others, not expecting anything in return, but without any return. Not counting, well, did this person say thank you? I, I can't remember if this person said thank you. Did, did he say thank you? Did she say thank you? Or has this person given it back to me? Given the gift back to me? Has this person paid me back? It's serving without expecting anything in return expecting anything because and that is only possible and I say that's prerequisite to be served is allowing yourself to be served because we respond we can only serve without expecting anything when we respond to being served as a gift right not deserving it but as a gift so it's going to be one or the other right we either give or we take, we either serve or be served. The question is, when we understand what it means to follow Jesus, are you living a life of serving? Within your family, you know, within your friends, within church. Do we want to be served at church or do we desire to serve others? When you are within a church that serves each other, the church grows. When you're within a family that serves each other, family is happy. Are you living a life of serving? And another part is, are you ready? How is your commitment? How's your vow to Jesus? Most of you vow, or most of you have gone through this. I mean, even non-Christians go through this, right? They come to, you know, tricky spot. They're, you know, in the corner and they say, God, if you let me out of this situation, I'll go to church, <laughs> right? I mean, even non-believers do it. And some of you have done it, like you're at the retreat or would leave. God, this is so great. I promise I will do this. I promise I will do this. So how's that vow? How's that coming along? And most of us don't really fulfill that vow. Most of us come to a place where we think, well, I didn't really realize it would be like this. I didn't realize I have to give that much. So your readiness goes along with, do you know what it means to follow Jesus? Can you follow along to your commitment? 
And what we see is obviously disciples aren't ready. Their vows are futile. They're not going to fulfill their vows starting with Peter. And when we look at ourselves, we're not ready. <clears throat> we often forget or our vows go unfulfilled. Not because we don't want to lie, not because we're unintentional, because we're just unreliable. <laughs> our words are often unreliable, right? We just don't. So here's Jesus with people who are not ready. Is there a good news here? There's definitely a couple of good news. And one is an amazing part that we read in verse 32. Jesus says, But I have prayed for you, that your own faith may not fail, and you, when once you have turned back, strengthen your followers, your brothers. And that's exactly what happened, right? Peter, he failed, but he repented, he gained strength, and he led others. That's what happened. And Jesus prays for Peter, Jesus prays for us. Even though we fail. So, here's, here's the thing. When we're talking we're not ready, we'll never be fully ready, we're not abandoning our need to be prepared. We need to prepare. We need to live a prepared life. We need to be prepared. We need to do all we can to be ready. And we need to give our efforts to be ready. Our efforts are meaningless. They're meaningful, yet they're not sufficient. Our efforts are insufficient. And, you know, I look back on my life. In most cases where I thought I was ready, I failed. In cases that I didn't think I was ready, I survived. Not always. Efforts are important. We're not abandoning that. But we need to acknowledge that we will never fully be ready. That our efforts are insufficient. That we can't be ready. And we are going to fail. And we will fail. And what we need, the good news in that part, is that Jesus prays for us. And what His prayer does, is when we fail, we don't abandon our faith. But when we fail, we acknowledge how we failed and we repent. And we're comforted. We are forgiven. So that we gain strength, we find grace, gain strength to continue on. And that's the good news. And for us to do that, as we prepare ourselves, we need to be prayerful. We need to pray that Jesus, pray for me. Jesus, be there for me. When I fail, lift me up. Help me know that I fail so I can repent and come to my way and regain strength. Uh, second good news is, is that there's a reward. And the kingdom, verse 28 says, You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you, that means I inherit to you, give to you, just as my Father has conferred on me a kingdom. Kingdom of God, we went through in the reading of the gospel. Jesus explains it and compares it in many ways. They don't get it. And in reality, I don't think we get it either, completely. But just because they don't get it and we don't get it, doesn't mean it's invalid. It's there. And that's the reward for us. And that's really reward of our efforts, not our success, but our efforts. And it's not because we deserve it. It's a gift of God. We receive simply as a gift of God. Not because we achieved it somehow. So here's the true great greatness. 
true greatness is not achieved and is not attained. It's only given as a gift of God when we follow Jesus in the way he served others. <coughs> that our, the, the mark of our servanthood, mark of us following Jesus is by the way we serve others as Jesus has served. So let me ask you this, and this is a rhetorical question. Let me ask you this. Have you completely understood what it means to follow Jesus? We went through the whole of the theme of the Gospel of Luke was what it means to follow Jesus. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? What have, you, what have we learned? That's a question, not rhetorical. What have we learned? To give everything up for him. Okay. What else? Think back to the all of Luke. I think we've gone through almost more than a year long. What have we learned? as the meaning of following Jesus. Hate mother and father even our own lives. Hate mother and father. <laughs> we choose Jesus, right? Over all over the ones things that uh, people that matters the most to you. Yeah. Somewhere other than, other than uh, Eddie. Something that stuck to you throughout the study of Gospel of Luke. What it means to follow Jesus. Continue on. I hope it doesn't end with that. <laughs> to die and to die and follow Jesus. That's a very common answer. That's a very Sunday school answer. Well, elaborate a little more. Like make it practical. No, it just it just stuck in my head because my kid keeps telling me that you know that day when you came to church and you were saying to die. Um, but yeah, um, we were talking about uh, John three sixteen to follow Jesus. Um, well, not to follow Jesus, but not do this. Um, God gave his only son to save this world from sins, and we moved on that. It does, it's not valid unless you actually um, read Luke. Um, is that? Luke what? Luke 9.23. 9.23. To die. In, in order to follow Jesus, you must die. Yeah, that's, that's what I'd like to share. Okay. Anyone else? Do you feel that you understand what it means to follow Jesus? Simply, you know, in a phrase or a word, what does it mean to follow Jesus? To die to ourselves, to our selfish desires, 
to turn away from temptations so that we can lose ourselves so that we can find ourselves in Him. Mm-hmm. Lose ourselves, but we can't stop there, right? And we need to do in the opposite. Run towards Jesus. Run towards Jesus. What it, and what does that mean? To let Him be the example. Yeah. Follow His ways. Let Him be the example. Okay. What else? Presentation. For more information and other audio content, please visit lifelightchurch.org.